0: So often as humans, we are just drawn to, we connect with stories, first-person stories, third-person stories, whatever it may be. Stories are a great way that, that people can relate to and remember and kind of let the content sink in a little bit better. If you're not conscious about your investment strategy, you won't end up where you want to be, not financially or as a human. On this show, we interview highly successful investors and share how they overcame limitations to become unstoppable forces of success. If you're ready to learn what it is to be a conscious investor so you can end up where you want, keep listening.
1: Great to be back with you, Conscious Investor. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by Grant because I've been listening to the Speaker Lab podcast. Speaking is absolutely imperative, and so we're going to jump right into this conversation on our speaking skills, and what this means to you. Because guess what? If you are paying attention to everything taking place in the world, AI is a thing, and it's not going away. And being able to articulate ourselves, to communicate verbally, and to command a room from the boardroom to the bedroom, we need to be able to communicate effectively everywhere we go. I'm trying to do that myself right now, right? So without anything else, let's just dive in. Grant, so glad to have you on the Conscious Investor podcast.
0: Julie, thanks for uh, letting me hang out with you.
1: It's going to be rad. We're going to dive right on in. And I want to know, like, in your own words, what do you do and how did you get started?
0: Yeah. So I run a training company called the Speaker Lab. And so basically, we work with speakers, helping them understand that the business of speaking, how do you actually find and book paid speaking engagements? So there's a lot of people who may be watching and listening going like, okay, I've done some speaking engagements here, or there. And there's something that a friend of mine asked me to do something or kind of a word of mouth thing. And I would love to do more of that. I just don't know, like, how does this work? Like, how do you find gigs? And what do you speak about? And who hires speakers? And how much do you charge? Like, the speaking industry feels like this mysterious black box. And so we're trying to demystify that. And so we've, worked with uh, speakers in 49 different countries, every U.S. state, speakers all over the world on all different subjects, topics, ages, stages of life, and helping them understand how do you create a message that has meaning and impact, but also is something that can get booked and you can get paid for as well. So my story actually goes way back um, in high school. I was really involved in my local church and my youth pastor had a really big impact in my life. And I was like, I want to do that. Like that seems like a really fulfilling, rewarding path. And so that was kind of the path I was on. I went to Bible college and eventually got a gig as a youth pastor at a different church. And that gave me a lot of opportunities to speak. And speaking is one of those things I felt like I was decent at, I wanted to do more of. But again, I just wasn't really sure how that worked. And so I met a couple of guys online. And this is 18, 19 years ago. So there weren't any podcasts or courses or trainings or books or resources about speaking. And so I found myself just emailing other speakers, harassing other speakers, stalking them, kind of pick your brain type stuff and learned a couple of things, started booking some gigs. And eventually over the next several years, got to a point where I was doing about 60, 70 paid speaking engagements a year. And absolutely loved it. It was a blast. I was traveling all over, primarily the U.S. And then had a lot of people asking me those same questions like, hey, I want to be a speaker. How do I find gigs? And how does this work? And so that's when we started the speaker lab back in 2015. And it's really grown and evolved. And the speaking industry is one that is, again, it's a ton of fun. There's a lot of people who are interested in it. It's not one of those things that certainly can be impacted by technology and AI. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that. But at the same time, at the end of the day, regardless of what happens with technology, whatever changes within culture or society, people still love to gather together with other people. And so I believe that the speaking industry is one that has survived recessions, depressions, wars, 9-11, pandemics. And regardless of what happens into the future, it will continue to have a big, big place in our culture and specifically in the business world.
1: I love how you are touching on the human drive. We are created, we are hardwired with this need for connection, for community. And so like you said, to your point, I mean, We are always going to have a reason to gather together. And during the pandemic, we saw during that time, it was astronomical. People were lonely. People were holed up. And that was very difficult for so many people. And speaking did not go away. Everybody pivoted their platforms and went, okay, well, we can't be together, but we can be together virtually. So it is timeless.
0: Yeah, like when the pandemic happened, I think it was one of those things that was certainly very, very jarring to everyone. And I think for us as a company, we're just kind of like, well, crap, now what? We teach people how to find a book speaking gigs and the world says, yep, we're not hiring anybody anywhere for the foreseeable future. But yeah, like to your point, like very, very quickly pivoted into virtual, that became a really big thing. And one of the things that we've seen kind of a couple of years removed from the pandemic was that when virtual became a thing, it didn't become a thing in replacement of it, it became a thing in addition to in-person events. And so even fast forward to today, and we've seen that a lot of virtual events continue to exist as a good alternative or as a supplement to in-person events. And so that's created opportunities for in-person and virtual and hybrid events. And so it creates a lot of enormous opportunities for speakers that actually didn't largely exist prior to the pandemic. So as weird as it sounds, I would say that the pandemic was actually one of the best possible things to happen to the speaking industry because it created a lot of new opportunities for speakers and for audiences and event planners.
1: Oh, this is so true. I just was invited to speak at another virtual event coming up in January. So it is, it's alive, it's vibrant, it's thriving. And it's such a great way for people to expand their platforms in a way that reaches far more people because there aren't any travel costs. Right. Let's talk about the people that Conscience or you're listening. You're like, Julie, I appreciate you. I love you even, but I'm not going to be a speaker. Please don't try to make me a speaker, but Conscious Investor, hear me out on this. Okay. Remember I said at the beginning from the boardroom to the bedroom, like we have to be able to communicate in our professional relationships and in our most meaningful personal relationships. And We are public speakers to whatever extent, right? And so if you are in a stage of four people, if you are in a meeting with your company and you have a dozen people that you are leading or 50, I know many of you have teams beneath you, you are speaking on a regular basis. And so these are really powerful skills. And how can we capture? So this is where I'd love to go, Grant, is just to say, how does a conscious investor actually capture and harness attention so that wherever they are, it's not just a matter of, okay, let's go through our TPS reports. Sarah, did you get this done? Ami, did you get that done? And like, how can the conscious investor actually use powerful speaking skills to engage and excite and create energy within their work? Let's just start with work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So going back to one of the things you touched on there that I think there's definitely a misconception that, okay, in order to be a speaker, I have to be this full-time all-in type of speaker. And that's certainly not the case. There's plenty of people watching and listening. They're like, yeah, that's kind of appealing. That's intriguing. I'd love to learn more. And other people that may be like, hey, I've got a good thing going. I wouldn't mind doing, I don't know, five or 10 gigs a year, but I don't want to do 60, 70 or 100. And other people on the other end of the spectrum my wife would be one who's like, you do not ever call me up on stage. And so you go do your dog and pony show up there, whatever you want to do, but I'm not going up there. That's fine. I'm certainly not of the camp that like everybody needs to be a speaker. But to your point, Julie, I think that everybody is communicating in some way every single day of their life. Again, whether that's going to be in your relationships or with your family or with your spouse or kids or in a work environment. So to your point in terms of like, how do we become better communicators? Well, one, I think that you're doing a great job and it kind of leans into even the title of the show of just being conscious of it. And this is something that I want to improve on. And this is something that just kind of closing my eyes really tight and clicking my heels together doesn't magically make me a better speaker. And so speaking is a skill like anything else. And so if you want to get better as a podcaster, you podcast. If you want to get better as a writer, you write. If you want to get better as a singer or playing an instrument or a sport or whatever it may be, you do that craft. And there's a level of intentionality about that. And so it's not just just go through the motions and I hope it all just kind of magically works out. I think this is a great example with speakers specifically is let's say that you're giving some type of presentation at work, whether that's to the board or just leading a team meeting. And one of the best ways and easiest ways for people to improve is to really spend the time practicing and preparing up front. And so I think there's a big misconception that the best speakers on the planet that maybe scribble some ideas on a napkin and hop up there on stage and wing it and it all just magically works out. And it just doesn't work like that. Like the best speakers on the planet, like really spend the time to practice and prepare and think through every word choice and sentence structure and, and all of the details that goes into it. A good example would be like a comedian. If you watch a comedian on Netflix or HBO or whatever it may be, we think they're like, "Oh, they hopped up there and hit record and told some jokes and it all just worked out." Like it just doesn't work like that. Like they've really spent a lot of time Practicing and preparing, giving some of those bits and those jokes, delivering those punchlines to kind of refine it and tweak it and make it better. So, by the time we see something on Netflix, like it's really, really dialed in. And so, it may look like they are just kind of making it up or there's off the cuff, but the reality is, is like that's not the case at all. This is true with like athletes or musicians. Earlier this year, I'm married to my high school sweetheart. We have three daughters. So it's me and a houseful of women. It's the best. And so we went to the Taylor Swift concert. She's been making the rounds on her eras tour. And so we went to that and it was awesome. And it wasn't like she just got up there and like, we're just going to sing some songs and hopefully a show comes together. And it's like, no, it was like everything was very, very carefully choreographed and planned and prepared. And so it looks like, wow, they're just up there having fun. But again, there's so much intentionality that went into behind the scenes so that by the time we see it, it's like, oh, wow, it looks like they're just winging it or it looks like they're just having fun. But there's so much more that goes into it. And so, again, whether this is you're giving some type of keynote or you're leading a board meeting or you're giving a presentation at work or whatever it may be, like really spending the time to prepare ahead of time gives you a lot more comfortability and confidence going into it. And so rather than just kind of like, "Ah, I'm just kind of wing it and hope it all works out, which it never does.
1: I'm just going to double down on that and say that I love to be more improv. And through the years, especially over the last two years of speaking on stages, It is very clear, like, yes, you do have to pivot at times and you have to make adjustments because, oh, my gosh, I was supposed to have X amount of time and things are shifting. And so but that's the power of knowing what your content is and knowing having clarity on what the message is. And yeah, the whole improv thing that was short-lived for me too. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to be prepared. (laughs) Well, let me give you an example.
0: Like a good way to think about this is I'm not a musician at all, but play along here. And so there's kind of a difference between like playing sheet music and playing jazz. And so sheet music is you play this exactly as it is written and every note and every pause and rest and so on and so forth. And like, this is exactly how it should be played. Whereas jazz is just kind of like we're each going to kind of do our own thing, but kind of an awareness of everybody else and kind of it all comes together to work. Right. And so good speaking, I think, is a little bit of both, probably much more towards sheet music than jazz. But what you don't want to be is you don't want to be so formulaic and robotic where maybe you've seen a speaker like that before where it almost feels like they're just regurgitating and reciting a script. And it's just yes. they are so deep in their own head and every word. And then I take five steps over here and I move my arms like this. And it's just like not relatable. It's hard To connect with them. And so, as a speaker, it's important to remember that you are a human talking to a collection of other humans and so act like a human. And so, an example would be sometimes speakers get worried about, oh, if I say um or uh or some of these filler words, and like, yeah, like you want to tighten up some of those and you don't want to just fill your whole talk with that. But some of those things are also like normal because that's how normal people talk. And so it's a lot easier for someone to connect with you and to relate with you because from an audience perspective, an audience is looking at you going like, do I trust this person? Do I like this person? Am I going to listen to this person? Do they know what they're talking about? Can I relate to this person? And so they're just choosing if they're going to engage and if they're going to connect with you and to what level. And so the more that you build that trust, uh, the deeper your message can go and the more it can impact them. But a lot of that comes down to your ability to just, again, be prepared, but also be a human and being able to connect with them. So that means, again, she music have some like, I know where I'm going with my talk. But at the same time, you know, if something random happens in the room, which happens from time to time as a speaker, or, you know, it seems like the audience is really into this one particular story or topic or whatever that we kind of take a slight rabbit trail and follow that and chase that for a second. But again, being aware of I'm not just going to kind of improv my way through the whole thing and meander my way through the whole thing. Like, I've got a good idea of where I'm going.
1: I absolutely love this. And when I began this podcast, I self-edited the podcast for an entire year and it was painful. conscious investor, I didn't like hearing myself. I feel bad for some of you, but I edited out almost every single um. And then I realized at some point that it sounds sterile and it sounds like, you're on this level and I'm over here and it creates this distance that's uncomfortable. And like you said, like our reticulator activating system is always looking for like kind and looking for what's normal, what's familiar and relatable. And so I agree. Although my mom would still say she wishes I would say like less again.
0: (laughs) It's helpful too, because sometimes we're not aware of maybe some of these like filler words or like crutch words that we go to that are not the ums or the uhs or the likes, but some word that we say a lot, we go to a lot that we just may not be aware of. And so it's a good exercise to when you're giving a presentation to record yourself audio video and to listen back, to play that back, to watch that back and just see like maybe you're catching yourself saying something a lot that you wouldn't have known otherwise. Or maybe you see yourself like, I didn't realize my face looked like that. Like, why didn't anybody tell me? Or do I always do that with my hands? Like, why didn't someone tell, you know? So some of those things that you just may not realize if you're giving some type of presentation from a stage, a good exercise is to not only watch yourself, but to watch yourself with the volume muted. And so you're just looking at the nonverbals and just seeing like, how are you moving? You know, like one mistake a lot of times speakers will make is they move just from one side of the stage to the other, just back and forth, back and forth, just pacing. And we call this like a caged animal and they're just going back and forth, back and forth. And they just kind of do it because they're like the Ricky Bobby of like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And I don't know what I'm supposed to go on stage. And I don't know where I'm supposed to do. And so watch those things, because you may pick up on some things that you just didn't even realize that you were doing.
1: This is so true. We went through an era during that first year. And my daughter, she was, I don't know, eight years old at the time. And she's like, oh, that's your catchphrase, mom. That's your catchphrase, because I was calling it out so that everyone in the family was aware of it. And it raised everyone's level of awareness. I don't know that I recommend that for you, Conscious Investor. It's pretty intense. But it was also very helpful at the same time because it created some clearer communication skills. Here's a question I have. And did you all catch? I just said, um, I just bought myself a millisecond. No shame (laughs) in that. No shame. No shame at all. I'm wondering as we're talking, discussing this, the importance of preparation. And I believe preparation is the foundation for all success in life. And so when we think about preparing for giving. Leading our team for the boardroom, for our families, wherever it is, because you know what? I know that some of you are wearing a very strong mom hat, and that is a very powerful point of leadership and requires high communication skills as well. Let's talk about the organization. Let's just say I'm getting ready to present a new project. You know, I'm project manager and I'm getting ready to present. Sometimes I can feel very scattered and sure, I could give the information in a really rote way. And again, Mm -hmm. I could call on all of my teammates to present their pieces. But are there any strategies that we can do to organize that type of information so that it is more engaging? Can we resuscitate and spare everybody from, I think we're around the same age, but those TPS reports, darn it, man. (laughs) Like, just don't want (laughs) it.
0: Yeah, anytime you're working on a, uh, any type of presentation of any form, I think there's a couple ways to kind of think about this. One is to think through the lens of the audience What is it that you're actually trying to convey here? Like, what's the end result? So imagine that you are taking a road trip, you know, and you're going to be picking up the audience and perhaps different destinations and trying to get everybody kind of on the same page here. And then you're going to want to, you know, take everybody somewhere. And so where is that bus pointed? Where is it that you want? Like a way to think about this is the audience is always asking themselves two questions. So what? And now what? So what and now what? So, so what? Okay. You're sharing all this with me. Like, what does this have to do with me? Why are we talking about this? This could have been an email type of mentality. And then there's the now what? Okay. You shared all of this. That's great. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to think differently or feel differently? Or is there some type of action that I'm supposed to take? And again, especially like in a presentation, like in a work context, in a corporate setting where you gave some type of a presentation and everyone's like, that was great. Like, what was that for? Like, why did we do that? What was the point of that? And so being really, really clear from the beginning of what is the outcome that you are driving towards and being clear of like making sure that everything that you are doing within that presentation is driving to that point of the goal of that presentation or that talk. Another just practical thing that I think anyone can do is to rely heavily on stories. Like, as humans, we are drawn towards stories. So, if I said right now, "Hey, let me tell you a quick story." Like oftentimes people will just lean in and going like, "Okay, he's going to tell a story. I don't know where this is going. I don't know is this funny? Is this sad? Is this depressing? Is this an overcoming obstacle story? I have no idea, but it's a story. So I'm in. Like as humans, we are naturally drawn to stories. In addition, humans oftentimes remember and connect with and relate with stories easier than just hear stats and data and facts and spreadsheets mm-hmm. and graphs. So a good example of this is my three daughters, they are younger too. They go to a youth group each week at our local church. And so a lot of times I'll go pick them up after youth group. Like They just walked out and we're driving home. It's like, all right, tell me, what did the youth pastor talk about tonight? And they're always just like, ooh, yeah. Uh, uh, God, Jesus, uh, and they're just lost. And I was like, really? You just came out. Oh, he told this story. And then they'll go on to recite this story verbatim. And again, as adults, yeah. we are guilty of the same thing. I'm like, I just left that presentation or that meeting. I couldn't tell you what it was about. Oh, but they told this story. Let me tell you the story. And so, so often as humans, we are just drawn to, we connect with stories, first person stories, third person stories, whatever it may be. But I think stories are a great way that that people can, again, can relate to and remember and kind of let the content sink in a little bit better.
1: I very much appreciate that. And this totally lands. Our son is 15. We've got an almost 13 year old daughter and yeah, just leaving church Sunday morning. It was funny. We're driving home and Hey, so what'd you get from this? And let's talk about that. What stood out to you? And it always comes back to, I really liked, and it does come back to the story, the human element that conveys the deeper message of whatever it is. And I think that's the most powerful part about stories is, is this communicating and conveying the deeper message? Is this aligned with it? Or is it distracting and detouring from it?
0: Correct. I mean, a lot of times, and again, I always, personally, I like to lean toward first person stories, because they are things that people can relate to and can connect with. So as a speaker, there's times where I've told a story about, I went skydiving one time, I tell a story about my first car, I tell a story about a funny thing that happened with a yearbook in high school. Tell a story about going to Disney with my family and a funny thing that happened there. Like just some of these like just, again, human personal stories that people can relate to. Everybody's had a first car. Everybody's had some type of situation where it's like, oh, I can connect with that. I can relate to that. So those stories, I think, again, are things that can be super, super powerful. Now, when you're creating kind of crafting a story, I'll give you some tips on this is even though it's something where you lived, I think it's helpful to still kind of write it out. And so an example would be if you said, Grant, tell me about whenever you proposed to your wife. Like, okay, I was there. It's been a minute, but I could tell you that story. But if you said, all right, take an hour and think about the story and then come back and tell us that story. I could probably just tell you a better story because if I really thought about the details of it, what was that day like? What led up to it? What did I say? What did she say? How did we respond? Who did we call? What was the weather like? If I just thought about all of this, again, I could probably put together a more compelling story versus just like, oh, yeah, let me just shoot from the hip and make that up. So that's a good example of, again, preparing, even though you know the material, you know the content, but really spending the time to prepare ultimately makes the talk, the story, the presentation even better.
1: Preparation is totally key. Did you ever, and I feel like I've heard this, I'm just going to ask the question, that's a better idea. Um, And the question is, Have you ever just sat down in your program? Do you ever instruct people to just sit down and write down stories, events in their lives, just to create a menagerie to say, okay, these are my anchor stories. These are my defaults that I know. Because I feel like there are certain speakers that I've heard and I've heard them present on different topics, but I'll hear similar stories. And so... It makes no, me I think think, it's think, okay, you know these. I,
0: I think it's a good exercise to capture stories and just get in the mm-hmm. habit of capturing stories. So for example, one that I referenced with Disney. And so the nutshell of it was, and so several years ago, our daughters were younger. And I think it was the first time we went to Disney World and my wife said, hey, the girls are going to dress up like little princesses. And I was like, okay, that's crazy, but okay, I'll play along. So they get dressed up like princesses. We go to Disney. If you've ever been to Disney with little princesses, like everybody calls it out. And so all of the cast members, the employees are saying, you know, welcome to the Magic Kingdom, princess. Princess, you look beautiful today. Princess, I love your dress. And so this happens all day long. And so this is a very fast version of the story. But fast forward, the punchline is we're leaving that day. And one of my daughters is like, Daddy, I think they really believe that I'm a Disney princess. And so we just kind of have this like, one, it's this funny daddy-daughter moment, but it's also just kind of like this funny thing of like, enough people told to her something that she believed it. And so it's one of those things like we literally, we got to the parking lot and I kind of just scribbled it down. And I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. I don't know what this is going to turn into. This may be nothing, but it's just one of those things that I want to kind of like carry around and marinate like things that are cooked in a crock pot taste better than things that are cooked in a microwave. And so at that point, I'm just kind of, I'm letting it soak. I'm letting it marinate. I'm going like, I think I could use this somewhere, but I'm not even sure how. So for example, yesterday, I did an interview for the Speaker Lab podcast, a speaker friend, and we were kind of talking about some of this stuff. And she said, I got about 30 stories that I go to. And on any given basis, I'm not going to tell all 30 stories, but I'm going to use three, four, five that I'm going to tell pretty consistently. But then I got another 25, 27 that I'm going to use depending on the context, depending on who I'm speaking to, depending on the industry, maybe of what I'm talking about some things that I can just pull to. So I think it's just good to, again, kind of grab those and capture those. So instead of when you're working on some type of presentation that you're not sitting down, staring at a blank screen and the flashing cursor going like, well, crap, I don't even know where to begin. But I, I at least have a couple things here that I can pull from. Because I can also, I can take that Disney story and I can go a lot of different directions with it. It could be a talk about customer service. It can be a talk about the words that you hear from other people about how they impact you. It can be a talk about believing in yourself. And like, I mean, you can go a lot of different directions with it. So it's less about... Uh, But I don't understand what the point of this story is going to be. That's not the point right now. Like just capturing a story, grabbing it, kind of scribbling it down, getting some thoughts behind it. And maybe it's just keeping a note on your phone of when something like that happens. So then when you're looking for some stories or some ideas, you've got something that you can kind of reference and go through.
1: Okay, I love this. And I'm going to just share this idea also, or I don't know, we'll just put it this way. I think you and I have a shared faith and there's interesting, it's like, you understand there are certain Bible stories and you know sure. those, and then they come back to your mind and they mean different things at different points in your life, whatever your needs yeah. are. And the stories take on a whole different perspective at different points and serve us. And our stories do the same. I love that. Yeah. I absolutely but just be, love But just
0: that. getting in the habit though, of capturing those stories of something weird happens, something funny happens, it may not turn into anything where it may come and be a big part of some other future point.
1: I love that. I want to transition just slightly and ask about the virtual space. A lot of people are still intimidated by the virtual space and they haven't refined those skills of effectively communicating in a virtual space. Mm -hmm. And, my heart goes out to you, Conscious Investor. Don't worry, <laughs> you can work through this. Can we give just a few skills on how to really like have your energy pour through this whole webcam business and... Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, virtual speaking is very, very different than in-person because with in-person, one of the things that you have is just the true energy of the room. And so when you are speaking, you're getting that real-time feedback from an audience. And speaking, especially in person, is very, very different than any other form of medium. So right now, you and I are talking on a podcast here. And at some point, there's going to be however many people listening, but you and I will most likely never sit and watch someone listen to this interview. And so they're going to be listening to it on a commute or at the gym or making dinner or doing laundry or whatever it may be. But you and I aren't there. And whenever someone's reading a book or a blog post or watching a YouTube video, like you don't see that. But whenever you're speaking, you're getting the real-time feedback from that audience. Are they with you? Are they paying attention? Are they engaged? Are they lost? Are they taking notes? Are they fiddling on their phone? Are they awake? Are they asleep? Are they laughing? Are they smiling? Like What is happening that gives you that real-time feedback of this is working or this is not working? And so with virtual, a big part of that is you lose a lot of that because you are, like you said, like at this moment right now, I'm sitting alone in my home office, you're probably doing the same, it would appear. And so you just lose all of that energy. And so again, some of this depends on the nature and the context of who you're speaking to what you're speaking about. But ideally in a virtual environment, you wanna still be able to see faces. And so you try to see, are they with you? Are they engaged? The challenge obviously with virtual is you are competing with a bunch of other things for their attention. If someone's sitting in front of you in terms of an in-person talk, it's hard for them to they may feel mentally distracted but it's hard for them to do much physically because they're typically just polite human beings and so they're not going to i'm going to pull out my phone or i'm going to pull out my laptop and i'm not paying attention to you but it's a lot easier when you're sitting in front of a screen and you're kind of paying attention and you're kind of not i'm well, just check my email let me open this browser tab and let me do this over here let me look at the tv in the background and i can do all these other things where I'm kind of engaged, but I'm kind of not. So there's a ton more distractions. So a few practical things you can do is one is I think whatever your presentation time is, like cut it down tremendously for virtual because people's attention span is nothing whenever it comes to virtual. There's just too many other things that you have to compete with. So normally I'd give a 45 or 60 minute presentation in person. Like that's really, really hard to do with virtual. With virtual, I think it's also helpful to use slides and use a lot of slides. It's so a more than just a talking head, but have a lot of slides. Like think about like a TV show, a sitcom, a movie, like they're changing scenes like, and camera cuts like yeah. constantly. YouTube videos, like the big channels change cuts constantly. And so think about that's kind of in a similar way with slides. It's just like something to kind of constantly kind of as pattern interrupts and reset people. So that's another thing. Another thing is like really utilize the chat. And so asking people, hey, if you're with me, just type in, I'm with you or type in where you you're from or type in what's the temperature right now where you're from. And how many of you have had this happen before? Just type in yes. And just anything like that, because in a similar way as a speaker, you may be doing something where like, hey, how many of you have experienced this? Raise your hand and say this to your neighbor. And like some of these are just these like little engagement activities uh, and using the chat as another way to do that to kind of keep people's attention. But if you're saying like, hey, type in the chat this and you see there's 100 people there and you're getting very few responses, like you probably just don't have a ton of attention. And so those type of little things go a long way, but also just recognize like, again, it's just a different context. And so don't assume like if you've given some in-person presentations that then giving virtual is going to be the same because it's just two different worlds.
1: They are such two different worlds. The first time I gave a virtual presentation, actually speaking to a group. It felt like crash and burn because that energy and I couldn't see anybody's faces. And I was presenting and like, to your point, I'm in my studio all by myself. And it felt like I was talking to myself and that felt awkward. I got in my head. It was a great learning experience three years ago, and I'm grateful for it. That's how we grow. (laughs) Well, I mean, and
0: thankfully, again, we are hopefully fairly decently removed from the pandemic at this point. So virtual is still very much a thing, but it's not near what it once was. You certainly see a lot more hybrid, where maybe you're speaking to something in person, but you have people who are tuning in and viewing through some type of live stream. When you're doing that, it's also important to remember that you're speaking to the people in the room but you're also speaking to people who are watching online and so it's important to not ignore the people online and the way you do that is by really looking at the camera because that's where someone's watching you is they're watching the camera you may be talking to people within the room but make sure that you are conscious of i got to look in the camera and looking at people in the same way that if you're speaking at, this kind of a different tip, but if you're speaking at an event where they have a live feed of you on the screen, you are a big event, and there's kind of just a you being broadcast up there. Most people, if you'll notice, most people are not looking at you. They're looking at the screen. As weird as that is, you may have a thousand people in a room. A hundred of them are actually looking at you, but 900 of them are looking at a screen. Even though like you're right there, there's people on the front row who are right there, but they're still looking at you on the screen. So make sure again, especially when you have, like a key point or a key idea or a key message that you want to drive home, like look at the camera because ultimately that's what people are going to be looking at on the screen.
1: So important. I do the same thing. I do that at church. My son and I went and saw Gabriel Iglesias in Uh California and same thing. I mean, you're right there. And I feel bad. There's a person instance of Gabriel Iglesias, or even when you guys saw Taylor Swift, it's Mm -hmm. like, were you watching the figures on the stage? Even if you have front row seats, you get this different perspective when you're watching it on the screen. Yep,
0: yep. So you got to think about that from an audience or a viewer's perspective. What are they looking at making sure that you are connecting and engaging with that?
1: Gosh, Grant, this has been absolutely you know, I know that this is helpful. Conscious Investor, I'm confident that you have gained and grown just through this. And I know that this isn't say the normal kind of content that we put on the channel, but this is important that we are supporting you in this way, because this is how the world operates. And the better we are at communicating the more eloquently, and we don't have to be eloquent like hoity-toity, you know, we're from England and we're all proper, but the better we can communicate, the more we can help transform lives. And the more we touch lives, the greater the impact in the world and the world needs you and I to show up now more than ever before. And for so many of you, we've spoken, this is a barrier in your life, your self-concept about your ability to communicate. And so I am absolutely confident that This is just giving you extra tools to be able, again, from boardroom to bedroom, everything in between, to be able to communicate effectively so you can have strong relationships, so you can lead powerfully in all elements of your life. Grant, what are the best ways? I know that Conscious Investor, you're listening and you're like, okay, I need to know more because even if I don't want to be on a stage, I can see how this is going to help me in all of life. So how can they reach out and get to know you? and yeah, get every, to know Speaker Lab.
0: <laughs> yeah. Everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. If you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to other podcasts. So we have a podcast by the same name, The Speaker Lab Podcast. I think we're closing out on 500 episodes. So all things related to speaking. So definitely check that out. We've got a book called The Successful Speaker, Five Steps for Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, Building Your Platform. So if you're wanting to know like the business of speaking, how do you find and book gigs? Definitely check that out. We also, it reminds me on the podcast, we've got a couple different episodes where we've talked specifically with investors about how they use speaking to raise money, to find new investors, to attract new investors. So again, depending on which side of the table that you're on as an investor, that may be something worth checking out as well.
1: Absolutely appreciate it. Grant, thank you so much for your time and serving the Conscious Investor community today. And Conscious Investor, I appreciate you. If this has served you, don't let this just be stagnant with you, right? We're generous. So be generous by sharing this with someone that you know is going to benefit from it and just let them know, hey, I really found this part helpful. Share your bit of the story. When Grant said this, it really impacted me. I think that you'll appreciate it also. And we always appreciate when you leave your honest rating and review. So don't be a stranger. Head on down to the very, very bottom of the platform you're listening on or on YouTube and let us know what was your takeaway? Because I read every single one of those and they just absolutely lift my spirits and they help direct me in how to, you know, who do we bring onto the show and how do I serve you even more powerfully? Until next time, health, wealth, and mindset. Are you enjoying this episode? Do the world a favor and help trick the algorithm by leaving a review so that this content reaches many others.